You are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for elder law attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by elder law attorneys for elder law attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing elder law attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of elder law, marketing, and practice development. All right, welcome. Today, our topic is such an important topic for elder law attorneys. Our topic is how to spot and prevent elder abuse. And with me today is Kristen M. Gibbons-Fedden. And I'm so excited to have her on today. Um, so Kristen is a nationally acclaimed litigator and concentrates her practice on institutional responses to sexual and gender-based harassment and abuse ethical concerns, discrimination, and other misconduct. She is an associate attorney with Stradley Ronan in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Prior to joining Stradley Ronan, Kristen served as the captain of the Elder Abuse and Domestic Violence Units, as well as a member of the Sex Crimes Unit at the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office in Pennsylvania. Um, As the assistant district attorney of Montgomery County, she regularly obtained convictions in complex physical and sexual abuse cases, domestic violence, homicide, child pornography, elder abuse, financial exploitation, assault, and other types of cases. So Kristen's most notable case was Commonwealth versus William H. Cosby, where she played a critical role um, in the first trial, which resulted in a hung jury, and then the second trial where conviction was attained. Um, So in the first trial, she delivered the opening statement, um, and in the second trial, she cross-examined key witnesses and delivered the closing argument. So Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Now, as elder law attorneys, we interact on a regular basis with elders and their families. Um, So today we're going to just focus on some helpful tips that you have for us on how to spot signs of abuse, the effects of elder abuse, and things that we can do um, to prevent elder abuse. But first, before we get started, I just thought it would be helpful for you to give us an idea of when we say elder abuse, what are we actually talking about? That's such a great question because a lot of times people think of elder abuse as limited or restricted to physical violence where um, an individual, whether it be a stranger or a member of the family, physically assaults an elder or some or a senior. Um, but elder abuse as a whole encompasses physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, financial exploitation. It also encompasses neglect and abandonment. So it is a large uh, range of different things that ultimately victimize or isolate or hurt um, someone in our senior population. Now, along with that, what are the statistics for abuse in the United States? Well, approximately, and again, some of these statistics can be a little off because Like several other types of crimes, elder abuse can be very underreported, and we can kind of get into why that is. But generally, um, the statistics kind of fall in, they think that approximately one in 10 seniors, and when I say seniors, I'm usually talking about individuals aged 60 and up. Um, One in 10 senior Americans have experienced some type of elder abuse. One study actually said that one in 14 cases are actually reported. So you see how it's very underreported. So the Mm -hmm. stats can be a little off, but we do believe about one in 10 
seniors okay. are victimized or abused. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, during your time with the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office, when you were prosecuting these crimes, who, you know, who tends to be the abusers? Who are the people that are committing these crimes against elders? It's really interesting that you ask that, Rebecca, because a lot of times when, um, as the captain of elder abuse, I not only spend time prosecuting these types of cases, but I also spend a lot of time with the community and um, doing more community awareness, um, education, and prevention. Um, and one of the things that surprises a lot of individuals, and we saw this, um, and I saw this when I was in the DA's office prosecuting these cases, is that a lot of these crimes are actually perpetrated by someone that the elder or senior knows. Um, whether it be a family member, whether it be a child, whether it be a spouse or a caregiver. Um, statistics say that 60% of elder abuse and neglect incidents occur from a member of the family. Um, and to be clear, abusers can be male or female. Um, and I think that is also an important um, item to highlight as well. Right. Yeah. You know, and when we talk about the the elders that are being subjected to this abuse, what what about an elder or what about this type of specific victim makes them more vulnerable to the abuse? Yeah, so a lot of times elders are targeted because um, they are seen as a vulnerable population to many individuals. They are also seen um, by perpetrators as having financial resources. And it's not necessary that the senior or the person that is being targeted needs to have a, a you know wealth or a huge house or something that would that would visibly define wealth. But a lot of times and I think this is, you know, consistent with American history is a lot of times seniors will be putting money away to save up for retirement. And so perpetrators know that generally a large population of seniors have nest eggs or have large amounts of money. Um saved in some type of vehicle or investment vehicle or financial institution that they can easily access and liquidate in order to give to that perpetrator to per to allow that fraud or scam to be perpetrated. There's other reasons why elders are targeted as well. Um, a lot of elders, unfortunately, are socially isolated, whether because their children are you know, living their lives and are not in the same area or maybe have their own obligations, familial obligations, also because maybe they lost a spouse. Additionally, Rebecca, um, as an individual ages, sometimes there's mental impairment that's associated with aging. And so these are just some of the reasons why the senior population um, tends to be one of our most vulnerable um, populations. And that's why I think podcasts like this is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, as elder law attorneys, I mentioned, we're interacting with these individuals on a daily basis. We're interacting with their families. Um, when we're meeting with the senior, when we're meeting with the families, what are some things that, you know, would kind of give us a suspicion or we should be in tune to when we're looking to, for signs of elder abuse or if that person, you know, is being abused? What are some things that we can look for? Absolutely. Um and like I said earlier, elder abuse encompasses many different types of behaviors. Uh, I think some of the key warning signs to look at for physical abuse specifically, or even neglect or mistreatment, would be physical signs on the body, whether it be bruises, pressure marks, broken bones, burns. Um, you can even look at whether or not that particular senior or your client 
is particularly apprehensive when you move your hand and they may flinch. Those could be some signs of elder abuse. Um, other things could be um, if you've had that client for a really long time um, and you notice that there's some type of change in their demeanor or some type of change in their behavior or even the type of the way that they respond to you, that mm -hmm. could be a sign of elder abuse as well. Um, if you notice there's depression, uh, sudden changes in their alertness, these are all things that want that you should key into, not necessarily to say that elder abuse is actually happening. But they may be some warning signs to say, hey, let me give this client just a little bit extra attention because you want to make sure that, uh, that that elder or that senior is not being abused because these are also signs of other things. It could be signs of aging, um, a, a loss of a spouse, you know, mm -hmm. similar things like that. Other things you would want to look for too, Rebecca, are mm -hmm. um, changes in their financial situation. Mm. Um, and particularly as client, you know, if you are drafting a will for an individual or redrafting a will and you mm -hmm. notice that now they want to add in some random person who maybe <laughs> they just met, that right. could be a sign of some type of elder abuse. Again, mm -hmm. it's not always um, indicative or evidence of elder abuse, but those are things you want to clue into. Also, mm -hmm. I think is really, really important if you notice changes in their hygiene. Um, because that could also be a sign of neglect. You notice, um, their, you know, the way that their, their clothes or weight loss or things like that. That's really key as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about these different signs and the things that we can look out for, um, what is the effect on these, these elders who are, you know, victims of these abuses, even if the abuse is caught early on, um, I would imagine there's still this great impact on them. Absolutely. You know, it, it carries with it such significant, um, effects. And I'm saying this firsthand from having, um, dealt with a lot of senior victims, you know, elders who are victimized by assault, um, they don't, their bones, their healing process doesn't regenerate as quickly as let's say a mm -hmm. child. Um, and so elders who've been abused actually have a 300% higher risk of death when you compare to those who are not, who are not mistreated or don't, aren't suffering elder abuse. Um, so they have a higher risk of death. Um, it also, elder abuse affects the family as a whole, because mm -hmm. if that caregiver was within that elder's home, all of a sudden now, now that elder is being stripped of their autonomy, their independence. Sometimes a family member will want to step in and say, you know what, sorry, you know, we can't, we can no longer have a nurse come to the house. You need to be in, you know, a nursing home. And perhaps mm -hmm. that is not something that the senior wanted. So there are longstanding emotional effects and longstanding um, other effects that can affect, um, can be the, uh, can impact um, an elder based on this type of abuse. In addition to that, um, the cost is substantial. Mm -hmm. um, there is an estimate that elder financial abuse and fraud costs older Americans anywhere from 2.9 billion to 36.5 billion. And I know that range is really large, um, mm -hmm. but statistically because these crimes are are so underreported, um, mm -hmm. it's really hard to get a figure, but just the fact that it's in the billions is substantial. Right. And, you know, talking about these financial scams, it seems like everywhere you turn, you hear of a new financial scam that's popping up. Um, you know, new things that you're hearing about, you know, the phone calls from the IRS that seniors are getting or different mailings. What are those common financial scams that you see seniors fall victim to? 
Sure. And the other thing I want to highlight when you're talking about these type of scams, particularly um, from myself, who is a former prosecutor, the problem with these scams is it takes a lot. And these are really the financial scams. That's where you see it, the financial exploitive scams. It is very costly to the elder and they're so hard to trace and so hard to prove that they're also rarely prosecuted. So that's the dynamic that you have again, um, you're up against. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think is really key is these scams change all the time. So it's always important to look. Um, I think that the National Council on Aging really does a great job up, up um, keeping their list updated. Mm -hmm. um, also, if people are interested in finding out what the key scams are in their areas, um, they can call their local police uh, department because they also keep, they generally keep lists of that. Okay. Well, one of the key, um, if you don't mind, I can go through um, just a few of the scams that I think are really um, crucial that people are aware of. Yeah, I um, think that'd be very helpful. Sure. Um, well, there's the Medi Medicare health insurance scam. Um, and I think this is key because there's no question that, you know, every resident or citizen in the United States who's over the age of 65 qualifies for Medicare. So what you see in these type of scams, Rebecca, is that perpetrators would pose as a Medicare representative. And what they would do is ask for personal information. What's your name? What's your phone number? What's your address? And what they're actually doing mm -hmm. is retaining all of that information from that senior who has now given them a bunch of information. Right. There's another key scam I think that's really big um, that the FDA, um, the Federal Dr uh, Drug uh, Administration has really kept their eyes on, um, and this has actually increased over over time. Um, it is on the internet, so it's not affecting as many seniors, but as more seniors become more um, skilled on the internet, and, I, and it's literally increasing at exponential rates, um, there, there are a number of internet scams that they should be um, aware of as well. And there's a lot of counterfeit prescription drug scams that operate on the internet. And these are particularly uh, damaging because there's a danger with them because the items that um, these seniors think that they're buying, and this really goes with all people, um, but mm -hmm. it also affects seniors. The, um, the item that the person believes that they're buying may not necessarily treat mm -hmm. that medical condition. But because it's so much cheaper than the prescribed, right. it's harder for them to, and especially when you're on a fixed income, you're mm -hmm. always looking for cheaper alternatives. Um, so right. it's reasonable, you know, but this can have a detrimental effect on the person's body as well as um, their wallet. Mm -hmm. There's um, other scams, I think, um, that are really important to highlight. Of course, there's always the homeowner reverse mortgage scams yeah. um, that I think a lot of people know about, but is really detrimentally affecting a lot of our seniors. Um, and I think the last one that I'd love to mention is the grandparent scheme. And this has been around for years, but essentially what the person or scammer will do is get that um, individual's phone number and pretend to be a member of the family or someone that the person knows and fake some type of um, scary incident where they need money to get out. A lot of times, Rebecca, you'll see someone say, you know, call and say, hi, grandma, do you know who this is? And if the senior says, oh, John, is that you? Yeah, it's me, Graham. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm stuck in Mexico. Someone stole my wallet. Can you wire me $100,000 or 
you know, even a thousand dollars so I can buy a new plane ticket so I can, you know, reinstate my passport, whatever it is. And of course that senior, you know, I would do it for my child. Um, and you basically are, the scammer is basically pulling at the heartstrings of that senior, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of make them quickly act and, you know, give them money. Right, right. Now, in that situation, you know, it's almost similar to where you have a child and you're telling them, you know, hey, if somebody comes up to you and says, your mom or dad told me to come pick you up from school, and you have those like keywords that you teach your child to ask, like the password. It's almost like you need something like that with seniors. So that way they know to ask certain questions to make sure that that person on the phone is, in fact, who they say they are. That's right. And actually, interestingly, Rebecca, one time when I was at a seminar, um, one of the um, seniors in the audience, you know, uh, commented that he had gotten a call like that. And what he actually did was when he got off the phone with that individual to go and, you know, quote unquote, wire the money. He right. called, you know, his grandchild yeah. and said, are you okay? And the grandchild was like, yeah, what's up? And he was like, I just received this call. And it was just interesting because, you know, a lot of times when you're in that panic mode, you're not going to think right. to stop and call, but it does help. It does help if you just stop and kind of think, get out of that panic mode. Because a lot of these scams that I just mentioned, they don't just um, happen to seniors. Mm-hmm. They can happen to anyone. The thing that I think is key is that seniors are targeted. Again, because they are looked at as individuals who have that nest egg and so have the funds to kind of fall victim to these type of scams. Right. And more susceptible, too, because in the beginning when you mentioned if they have like dementia or some kind of, you know, disease that's making it so they can't think the same way that we are when it comes to asking those questions or trying to figure out if. Yeah. So they're just more susceptible. Absolutely. Now, what do we do? You know, so when we talk about all these different, you know, the internet frauds, mailing scams, if we learn of something new or we we find something else that's out there, do you know where we can report that as elder law attorneys? Oh, absolutely. I think it's really, really important to report it to your local police department or wherever that senior or client lives, that particular police department. Again, it's not necessarily that it will necessarily, it will be prosecuted, although your hope is that it will be. Um, Mm -hmm. But they need to retain these statistics. They need to know what scams are out there so that they can better educate their their community. Um, Mm -hmm. Another key um, uh, law enforcement body that you want to alert would be the attorney general's office because they keep stats for the state. Um, So I think that's really important to do. Another um, key law enforcement arm if you will, is the adult protective services and every county Mm -hmm. should have that. Um, Those are the three main entities that I think are really important to notify, even if nothing can necessarily be done. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the law enforcement attorney general's office and the local police department, again, those stats are key so they can educate their community. Um, The adult protective services may want to be involved because perhaps it was, as you were stating, Rebecca, um, that that senior fell victim because there are cognitive impairments or because Mm -hmm. there are certain services that that senior is entitled to and that are actually available that that senior is not taking advantage of because that senior is unaware of them. So you want to make sure that um, all of those different, um, uh, you know, governmental entities are aware Mm -hmm. um, so that they can appropriately help our senior population. Now, would we be making the same kind of report if we suspect physical abuse as with the financial 
Absolutely. And you would still call all three of those agencies because the adult protective services may have to step in and remove that senior from that um, environment. Absolutely. Right. And again, not just physical abuse, but it could be neglect. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's really important too. abandonment, confinement, where the senior's freedom is being restricted in some regard. That's huge. Right. Now, when we first started, we started talking about the different signs to recognize abuse, um, financial abuse, and physical abuse. What can we be doing to make sure that we're preventing it from happening or occurring even in the first place? That's such a great question. I think one of the key things that I tried to do when I was at the district attorney's office um, in Montgomery County was I went out and did a lot of community awareness and education. And I think that's key. I say that um, because, look, like not all people are prosecutors, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's very important to note that you can go to your church and say, hey, can you contact the district attorney's office and see if they're willing to come out and do an educational seminar on elder abuse? What signs should we look for? What are the common scams in the area? Because that's free for the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so just being aware that, you know, your local DA's office is capable of doing those things, I think is huge. If the DA's office doesn't have the resources, perhaps it, it's important to contact the attorney general's office who may have um, additional resources so that they can bring that free service out to the community. Another thing that I think is really important is you could not only just do it in your churches, synagogues, or other religious institutions, but you can do it in the doctor's office. Rebecca, you could hold a seminar within your office. Attorneys can hold it in their offices. Um, so again, education and awareness is one key way that uh, elder abuse can be prevented. The other thing, and Rebecca, I know that you do this, um, and I commend you for your for your efforts. The other thing is to make sure that seniors, you know, before they suffer certain cognitive deficits and impairments, make sure that they have all of their um, financial planning and future planning documents in order. Their living wills and their and their advanced directives, so that they are able to express autonomy over their medical decisions. Um, when they become at a place where they are cognitively unable to make those um, decisions. A power of attorney so that they can um, pick, while they're of sound mind, they can pick someone that they actually trust um, to make certain financial and or medical decisions for them. A will so that they would vo avoid uh, confusion later on. And if these financial documents are all in place um, prior to, you know, aging, and again, look, I understand that circumstances change. And mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily going to eliminate elder abuse, but right. these are just some ways that you can prevent it. Um, because if your financial documents are in, and medical documents are in place ahead of time, if you, if you do experience any cognitive deficits and there are people around you who are cognizant of those things, when an elder begins to make certain changes and puts, you know, their caregiver to receive their entirety of all their wealth, then right. certain red flags can start going yeah. off and they can utilize, the, you know, the, the court system to perhaps mm -hmm. put another guardian in place or things like that before they make those decisions. Um, the other key thing I think is really important, Rebecca, is listening to podcasts like this because it's really important that elders and other vulnerable populations know their rights and they know where mm -hmm. to turn and they know what scams to look out for. Um, so that would be the main thing that um, I think is one way to prevent. And also, of course, never, 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 never give out personal information over the phone. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for all these helpful tips um, and, you know, the key points on how to spot abuse. Kristen, if people want to reach out to you, they have a question for you or want to connect with you, is there a way that they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, I am, I, as you mentioned earlier, I am an attorney with Stradley, Ronan, Stevens, and Young. I can be emailed at kfedden at stradley.com, or you can Google my name. My profile will come up and my phone number and email is there. I'm also available on Twitter at kgfedden, K-G-F-E-D-E-N. Great. Well, thank you so much for listening to Outer Law Answers for Attorneys. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague. Please subscribe on iTunes and find all of our past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.